Hello and welcome to episode number four of Shelf Impactors. In this episode, I interview Michael Duffy, the global creator director for Equator Design. He has been the creative lead for Equator for over 10 years, has been hugely instrumental in the phenomenal growth of Equator, helping it to develop into its global status that it has today. Based in Chicago, Michael, with the assistance of his regional creator directors, oversees all of the creative that the business produces across all the studios, which include downtown Chicago, Manchester, UK, Nottingham, UK and Dublin. So welcome, Michael Duffy, um, affectionately known as Duffy to all his good friends. Um, Duffy is the group creative director for Equator Design over in, well, he's based in Chicago, but sort of works across most of the uh, Equator sites. Duffy, great to have you on the podcast, mate. Thank you. Um, okay, uh, so we of course know one another and uh, are good friends, but uh, um, I hope you wouldn't mind, but to, to, if you can, just let the listeners know here um, who Michael Duffy is, um, where you were brought up, school, where and sort of what you studied at university, uh, and moreover how you got into design and ultimately how you ended up working over in the US. Okay, well, um, I loved um, design and art from day one. So I've always loved doing that when I was a kid. So obviously, in which most designers, it's a natural progression mm -hmm. into the arts. But I'm from Nottingham in the United Kingdom. Ooh, so I am born and bred in Nottingham. Obviously, um, went to university in Nottingham, went to school in Nottingham, went to university in, sorry, London, mm -hmm. and Kingston-upon-Thames. Did my degree in graphic design there. Um, before I went there, obviously, went through the normal channels and went, did a BTEC National Diploma in Nottingham at Art College. So I took a traditional approach. And worked in various agencies, worked in various different disciplines. Wasn't I'm now in um, predominantly packaging design, mm. although that's not where my career started. I did other stuff, corporate identity, etc., things like oh, that, yeah. brochure design, collateral. Um, and then um, I became a creative director in England um, for Equator, and predominantly working in private brands. So then an opportunity came to expand and set up Equator in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Or one of our our main clients at the time, which was Aldi. Yeah. So we came out. Obviously, the US um, is not as progressive in private brand retail as the UK. Mm -hmm. It kind of leads the world. So that obviously set us up. It gives an advantage to come over and try and bring over. Aldi was set on having a, a much more progressive approach to branding, very similar to how we had worked and partnered with them in the UK. Yeah. So that was the idea and the premise really to come out here and set up a creator out here. So that was actually nine years ago. So came out as creative director wow. about ago. Set up. We've mm -hmm. gone through one. We started off probably with a team of five. Inherited um, a small team that was already working as another agency. Um, so we, we inherited that and then built off that. Started off with five, and then within about eight months, I think we built up to about thirty, and relocated, and then eventually years later, the equator's gone through quite a lot of transition. Yeah. And has experienced massive, massive steep growth. Mm. And so you're working currently with lots of other retailers, so not just Aldi. Uh, can you sort of touch on who else you're working with over in the US? What other yeah, so retailers? We started working with Aldi, but eventually um, we have spanned off into some other retailers, and Equator has become um, quite a formidable force because mm. we have a very unique model. And I think, as well as our progressive UK insight, but with local perspective, if you like, to the markets here, it's put us in a really good position. So there is um, kind of a private brand revolution now yeah. going 
US and the gap between the US and UK market has, although it is, there is still quite a significant gap, it has got smaller over the years. So there is a thirst and a hunger now for really true private brand approach. Now everybody's doing it. Mm. The yeah. US is the, is the world's really largest market for retail. Mm -hmm. So um, we are working with other clients now, which has happened kind of organically. I think our second retailer was Roundy's, yeah. uh, which also owned Mariano's, which is mm -hmm. now all owned by Kroger, which is the second largest retailer in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, so we worked and rebranded everything for them. Um, and then we have since worked, we're working now for Sam's Club, um, which is a fantastic yeah. uh, client, very creative. Um, so we've been very fortunate to partner with clients and retailers that, that share a vision. So I think if your client shares a great vision, then that will obviously foster the ability to produce great work. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Now, but what I wanted to do, I know it's a little bit sort of restricting on time, so uh, I, I wanted to sort of get into a bit of meat, really, of design. You and I have worked together sort of for quite a few years now in the past and worked both in sort of the US uh, and the UK and to a certain extent you worked with me when I was over in Australia in Sydney. But um, with yourself, having moved over to Chicago, uh, I know when you first got there you did a phenomenal amount of your own research sort of walking grocery stores, um, mm -hmm. making sense of all the different brands and categories and sort of cultures yep. uh, within yep. FMCG. What was your opinion when you first moved over of what was happening over there? I mean, looking at both brands and private labels, actually, I know you said they've developed over the last few years. So first question is, what was your opinion when you first moved over? And in essence, how, how has your opinion changed? That's honest. When I first moved over, it was quite frightening <laughs> because yeah. it's extremely dated in comparison to the UK's very progressive market. So in the UK, you have <clears throat> obviously a lot less retailers and it's an extremely aggressive competitive landscape and also we have in my opinion the best um, branding agencies in the world as well hmm. and uh, they also are extremely competitive so you're all you're all kind of fighting over the same work um where in america obviously is a hell of a lot larger yeah. so i think coming to the states noticed immediately that there was a massive um difference between national brand and private label i say private label because i think until very recently private brand was not something that was here yeah so you know in the uk we always say private brand because we create um store brands if you like which really do carry equity um and do not just um compete on price with the national brand but they also challenge the national brand yeah, on point of purchase we're in the uk <clears throat> sorry in the u.s it really, it really was just a price thing. So mm. also looking at national brands, national brands were also extremely dated, at least in comparison. Obviously, design is subjective. Yeah. So there yeah, are some fantastic brands here. But in comparison to the UK, it was a culture shock from a design perspective. Yeah, of course. Everything on, everything on shelf was all trying to shout and fight for attention at the same time. It, it was almost, to put it in a, put it in a kind of, it was like everybody shouting all at once and no one, no one could be heard yeah. and it was garbled mixed message so from a visual standpoint it, it felt to me as a creative quite definite if that makes sense so yeah, definitely and then you would look there'd be a lot of me too's there'd be a lot of um very generic um private label very cooker cutter approach mm -hmm. where everything was to look the same come up with an architecture come up with a logo and then you know it didn't really allow any of the categories to flex or have a personality or in the uk you know, ice cream usually looks like a fantastic ice cream. It's still held together with a certain DNA 
that makes it ownable by a Tesco or, or whomever. Yeah. Or a but then you also, it, it's, it doesn't strangle and handcuff um, the category. So you still can have fantastic pizza design. You know, pizza does not look like ice cream, and ice cream does not look like frozen veg. Where there are a lot of that, there's a lot of rollout cookie culture approach, because a lot of people were doing it, it really wasn't approaching it strategically. Mm-hmm. But the difference in the UK, and, and, and really, which is the principles of Equator, is we do not discriminate between national brand and private brand. Yeah. We approach both with strategic thought. So when you do that, you know, compelling design is born. And that was the biggest difference when I reached America, is I noticed that there was, there was none of that. So while it was quite a scary realization, you know, to, to see that design, a lot of design that really you know, wasn't what I was used to. Yeah. Also, you know, that was the first thought. The second reaction was, what an incredible opportunity. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it must have been pretty scary, actually. And uh, were you quite sort of, I guess, scared of what you, what was the challenge you had ahead of you? Because obviously you, at the, at the time you had, uh, I think, quite to was working with Aldi and you were thinking I've got to learn how all these brands work because Aldi's I guess uh, yeah. approach is always brand benchmark wasn't it and brand matching to a certain extent and so you were thinking I've got to learn these brands in order to apply their thinking to a certain extent well, to your design process well it wasn't always I mean it's not necessarily brand matching I think private brand has to carry a certain amount of equity of a national brand you have to pull what is yeah, the right forgive me you're right sorry it, but it is changing it is changing definitely brand private label here in the UK is now becoming in its own essence, its own design is actually stepping away from brand matching. And I guess you're having that too. And that, and that, and that is definitely happening here as well. So mm. I think, you know, there's certain things that you just, you just don't want to do. You know, if you don't have cream cheese and, yeah, and um, color it purple or, or orange or something, because, you know, there's a certain amount of nostalgia and, and kind of cognitive recognition that a customer goes through. Yeah. But you can allow the design to be its own design and have, it, have its own personality. And then it really won't date and it will never look like a cheap cousin. Mm. So I wasn't, I mean, saying scared is too strong a word. I wasn't scared. I was... Um, no, daunting. It's, it, it was definitely been daunting, I'd imagine. I would say I was probably more aware of the task at hand, which, mm. you know, to really create um, fantastic design, it's no, it's no use, and I think a lot of agencies have done this and it's a mistake, it's no use approaching another market, wherever you are, um, in the world, especially the US, um, with a certain amount of arrogance, thinking, well, we're better in the UK, therefore we'll design like the UK and it'll be okay. Yeah. That is a mistake. If you do that, then you do, you've got to learn your market first. So you're absolutely correct. I had to spend masses, hundreds of hours mm. walking up that supermarket aisle. It's not the most glamorous of weekends, <laughs> but I had to absolutely walk all the stores and really learn and get used to the market. Yeah. Because if, you can't just create what you think is, is a great looking design unless it's relevant and it's um, and it makes sense to the market. I guess so, I guess in many aspects. So I don't mean to interrupt there, but I guess what's on my mind at the moment is thinking about the retailers understanding the journey that the consumer has to go through. So it's not just creating beautiful packaging. The retailers themselves also have to know how to set up that atmosphere and the ambience around those brands. So how the shelves are laid out, what point yep. of sale is being used, even to the extent of how wide aisles are and. What, how much space is given to each of those brands versus private labels yeah it's very different i mean some supermarkets will um when you think about it you know the retailer it's their house and the national brands are a guest agree you know and the old products you have the you have a lot of power as a retailer because you really can um slot and merchandise your brands as you wish so for example i know heb in texas fantastic retailer and they 
our big firm believers of always championing their brands over the national brands. So, for example, mm. you will see their their brand at eye level. You know, yeah. there's no in your brand on the on the top or the bottom of the shelf because you're not giving it a chance. <clears throat> so that's very important. Obviously, the experiential factor as well. There are some US supermarkets that, are, that do an amazing job, and I think in some cases that's where the UK could actually learn. Mm. Because they really are amazing um, experiences. Which ones? Can you can you a bit of a name dropping? Who who are so the retailers you aspire to? Fantastic! You know, we designed a. Uh, North Who's that? Sorry, say again. Mariano's, which okay. is a which is now which was part of the Roundies chain, mm. which is now owned by Kroger. Um, we've worked with them on a lot of experiences with, and one of them we worked on you with, Mark, on the yes, odd signs, which well. was you know on a juice bar, mm. you know a um, smoothie juice bar where they will literally create the environment that it reflects being in a beautiful organic juice bar. We've also yeah. done a, um, a very authentic Vero as a brand, which um, we were fortunate enough to win a gold pentawood for, yeah. which just started out as a coffee cup. But the way we designed, we designed it in a, bit, in a way where it could be expanded and activate out beyond the shelf. So the brand starts at shelf, but it has the opportunity to really expand out from there. And then that created a huge environment of cafe for you know, coffee and gelato and and they have barbecue bars, they have vegan bars, they have sushi bars, they have pizza bars, they have uh, a barbecue pit. You know, they have all of these amazing experiences all in the supermarket before you actually get to the cornflakes. Yeah. So, you know, and, that, and that's just touching, I think we've got a burger bar as well, and I think there's a new one that's being worked on, which is a, uh, you know, Mexican-Hispanic bar. Duffy, now we've touched on uh, the differences in the US and UK designs, but one thing that really sort of I, I'd like to learn a bit more about is perhaps um, the difference in design approach um, that perhaps you take or the team takes. And, and I, I, by that, I mean, is there a different way of thinking before approaching a design project that you apply to a US project compared to a UK project? OK, well, I think firstly, um, it all depends on the brief. And obviously, the, the brief is driven by the market. So mm -hmm. obviously, Equator works in a lot of different markets. Yeah. So we don't really take a different design approach. It's all about what the brief is. So if we are designing for the US market, then we have to be relevant to the US market. If we're designing to the UK, then we have to be relevant there. Obviously, we need to do as much breakthrough as we can, and being as innovative and creative as we can. But we don't um, pigeonhole our design approaches because it really has to come down on market and category relevance. And obviously, with Equator, we work with um, lots of different designers. You know, we don't really um, have national designers. We have more international designers. Yeah. So what we do is we're, you know, a big strength of Equator and something that we find that um, really helps us and gives us an edge is that we have um, multiple design teams. I say we have a UK team and a US team uh, quite often working on the same brief together. Mm. This includes designers become more creative more aware of different markets, you know, so we'll take, um, sometimes we'll take a, you know, leverage our UK insights and, you know, the fact that the market there is more progressive, yeah. um, but we will, the mis that would be a mistake if you was just to think you just design for America like do for the UK. So what we do then is we will then filter that to be relevant to the market. So it'll be like global thinking with local perspective. Yeah. I see. And I guess that goes along with the sort of tone of voice and language. I guess you, whichever market you're applying it to, you perhaps do you have to almost take it back and censor it. So would perhaps sometimes some of the UK designers come up with some strap lines or some tone? Yeah, well, we have, we, yeah, I don't know what you mean. We have to be very aware, obviously, and it's critical that you are designing um, culturally correct, if you like. Yeah. So obviously what is, what is one thing to a Brit is not another thing to an American. So, mm. for example... 
you know, if you ask an English designer to design applesauce, then they're going to be thinking pork chops. And if you did ask for an American market, that is something that kids might eat with carrot sticks before their meal. Yeah. So, you know, it's very different. So you need to be incredibly careful. And, you know, that could be designed for the Australian market, the Irish market, whatever that might be, that you have to design relevant to your audience. And unless you look through the eyes of your customer, then you're really not going to be designing relevant design. So it can mm. be as beautiful. Beautiful, most beautiful design in the world, but it has to be relevant and it has to be um, it has to connect to the customer. And that can also happen in the states, from state to state. So obviously, in England, it's uh, you know it, it's an island and it's yeah. you know very small compared to America. When you design for America, you're designing for an East Coast market. It would be completely different to how you would design for a you know Southern market because mm. they have cultural cultural eating habits. So you have to take on all of that and just make sure. That's where um, fantastic project management, account management comes into board because you have to make sure that you are supplied with the great brief. And that yeah. will also come listening to your client in the first place. How you filter that brief and control it and direct it obviously is important. And that's why we would always have a creative director who is leading the project yeah. in the market that they're in. Mm. So if you have multiple different designers from different offices, they're all brought together. And the fact that they all work together the way we do means that all those ideas and learnings are being shared all the time. So they're working side by side with English or American designers. So they're all their colleagues. The other thing that we do is we encourage, especially um, American teams, we encourage them to go to the UK as often as, often as we can. And we build that into almost a promotional um, career growth path for our designers. When they get to a certain level, we will let them go to the UK. Yeah. We encourage them. So, um, they'll extend their holidays as well so they can get you know it's quite hard for US guys to go to the UK it's very expensive travel yeah. to Europe so we tag on a lot of travel so that um, always expands the creative mind to have lots of different influences but while they are in the UK they work with all the English teams and they walk around all of the English markets now US guys where they come and work on sometimes projects here when it's not just across um, digitally mm -hmm. then they will also walk in the market so all of our designers or very exposed when they get to a senior level yeah. to different markets, which allows them, enables them to design more relevant. And just out of interest, and I know that I've, I've come, I've had experience of these sort of types of research groups in the past, but how often do the projects you work on have research groups? Or it depends. If we're engaging a new retailer and we're designing um, the complete range strategy from the beginning, then obviously yeah. we'll have research techniques, focus groups, shop alarms, mystery shoppers, all types of things like that. Yeah. We do stakeholder meetings that we would hold at the retailer, so we listen to the customer, as in our direct customer first, and then obviously then we'll talk to um, their customer. So we, in effect, when we're designing, we have two customers to think about, and a lot of the time we are our own customer, which helps, and I think mm. that's, the, that's the biggest edge a packaging designer has and other designers, because a lot of the time they're designing for themselves, their family, um, so you can always adjust and look through their eyes. But obviously, um, data, you know, and research and focus yeah. groups always plays a significant role. Especially, you know, some some brands that retailers own, you know, they're they're billion dollar brands. So, you know, they're, they're I think a retailer is more nimble and moves quicker than a national brand, but yeah. it's still to adopt strategic thought. And in some cases, those brands can be bigger than national brands. Yeah. Oh, no, as I stand, I remember in the past having worked on some bigger briefs and for bigger brands that often the design brief comes attached with some some of the developments that have come out of huge research groups that have been held prior to the brief being compiled, which is often quite handy. Um, okay, now to answer another question, Duffy, which is going to uh, 
probably stretch your brain cells a little bit. What are your sort of key pointers for those people just starting out on their design careers? So what should they be doing now to better their careers? Um, so where should they be seeking inspiration? Should they be looking to uh, mentors for guidance? Uh, what are your thoughts on how these guys can start their careers out or at least leverage a better career? Well, I think it's all of the above. It's absolutely all of the above and mm. more. Um, you know, if obviously working in design, no matter what discipline, is incredibly um, competitive. Mm. You know, coming out of university is incredibly competitive. So really to give yourself the best chance, you've got to absolutely want it more than anything else. Yeah. You really have to live and breathe design. You know, um, being a creative is is more than just a vocation. It's part of your soul. Yeah. You know, it's who you are. It's a DNA that makes you. Um, and if that if that's really, really in there and that talent's there, you've got to build on that and, uh, and channel it. And the way to do that is it's just got to be part of your everyday life. So it usually is for all designers, no matter what type of designer you are. We yeah. think differently. We look at things differently. We see differently and we visualize everything. So I think you've, you've got to make it part of your everyday. You've got to want it. Yeah. You're, you've got to, you're not just take for granted. You've got to go out there and feed your creativity in whatever way, shape or form, form that might be. Generally, mm. you're told to do everything from theatre to travel to to exhibitions, obviously they're the obvious thing, that's all table stakes, everybody should be doing that. But I think the biggest thing is, um, apart from obviously absolutely latching onto anybody that you can learn from, um, and there's always something you can learn, you can learn from the bad just as much as you can from the good. Yeah, but when you, when you get an opportunity, seize it. You know, you've got to go with it 100%. Um, you've got to be hungry. I think seeing a lot of young um, designers coming up these days, you know, obviously, you know, there's. It's, it's very different to when, um, when we were starting out. Um, and there is a lot of different influences, obviously, and, and it's a completely different world. But you've got to have a, a brilliant work ethic. You've got to be hungry. Yeah. You've got to go after everything you can. You've got to be prepared to work incredibly hard. You need to stand out. You know, you've got to treat yourself like your own brand. You know, how do you amplify yourself? If you come into a new agency, whether it's small or big, how are you going to get noticed? How are you going to be given bigger opportunities? How are you going to be allowed to work on that project that the senior designers are working on? Mm. You've got to have people. You've got to be putting yourself out there. You've got to have confidence. You've got to listen a hell of a lot. And, um, and go out there and do more. You know, go out there and ask if you can work on a brief. Or if, if someone's not allowing you to, do it anyway and go and present it. Yeah. Go into a market if you're a packaging designer. You have a wealth of inspiration all around you. So have your eyes open all the time. You go into a supermarket, look on shelf see something that you th that you either think is a great piece of design or a bad piece of design. Redesign it yourself, write your own brief. You know, there is endless ways that you can grow as a designer. Mm. I think drive and um, absolute hunger is what will get you there. And uh, do you, just out of interest, are you finding the designers that are coming to you now have a, uh, a different thought process that perhaps they had maybe 10 years ago? Are designers now more aware due to social media, um, their own activities outside of uh, their existing jobs? Are you finding that a designer is a different breed now to what, what they used to be in the past? I, th I think young, you know, youngsters in general are very different because they have, you know, uh, you know obviously social media and, the, and the new digital age is a huge player. Mm. So, you know, everything's immediate. Information is, is immediate. You yeah. want you 
know something, you know it in two seconds. You don't have to go to a library and get a book. You don't, you know, you can look it up and find it out instantly. Mm. So everything's an instantaneous gratification, which, you know, the, lots of people talk about that now. But, you know, that, that allows you to really get even more inspiration. Um, but, you know, it does bring different work ethics to it sometimes, yeah. different approaches, there's different cultural influences. So, you know, designers are different as people are, whether they're a designer or they're an accountant, you know, people are very different because there are, is a different world. But I think the not being closed off um, to other influences, you know, walking around with your head up, not necessarily your head in your phone, is definitely a way yeah. to be inspired in a different way. And I think just being open um, very, you know, you have a, you have to have an open mind as a creative. So you yeah. have to be completely open to new trends, new experiences, travel, um, you know. And I think that social interaction is incredibly important. Mm. I completely agree. I think the biggest takeaway from that for me is just, and if I had any advice for young designers out there, just as you said, it is hard work. It's not. I guess as a designer, your role isn't necessarily just a nine-to-five. You don't just down tools at the end of the day. As a creative, you are constantly switching on and absorbing what's happening around you, taking on typography, taking on uh, tones and colours and shapes. Wherever you go, you could be watching a film and looking at the intro sequence. Um, watch, it, it, all, of, all of those, just ex- brief examples, I guess, of what we interact with in life, which we know we can apply to our own design thinking and projects. So yep, yeah, definitely yes. the hard work thing, and just putting your yeah. life and soul into everything you're doing, rather than just thinking this is a it's a temporary vocation, and we, we switch off at the end of the day because we don't. It's just not possible another, as a creative. Another thing, Mark, is um, is giving you a chance to type the, the, the chance to turn off, because we all know that you know the brain will let ideas um, enter it when it's not being preoccupied with other things. Mm. So you do need that time to turn off from um, digital media. Yeah. And so, yeah, and your computers and everything else, because that's when you need your brain needs to wind down to allow your thoughts to to be born, really. So mm-hmm. I think it's it's a mixture of a lot of different things. I think it's you know, social media is a fantastic tool, um, but I think all the you know you you have to make sure that you're open to all influences. Yeah, no, I agree. All right then, Duffy. Listen, um, I really appreciate your time for this podcast. Um, and I know you're an extremely busy chap at the moment. There's uh, lots happening over there. And uh, with the sort of growth of Equator, your time is uh, really very much appreciated. So thank you. So um, if people want to get in contact with you or find out more about Equator, um, where should they look? Just go to our website. Just go to, just go to the um, Equator website if you want to find out more about Equator. And, um, and keep your eyes open and follow us on um, LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and you, you know that will give you a, an insight into our culture as well. Fantastic. Well, I'll put all, put all those into the show notes. Um, but once again, Duffy, thank you very much for your time and uh, we'll be speaking soon, mate. Pleasure.